Welcome again to the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church. My name is Mark Vance. Glad to be with you today. And today, I want to talk with you about marriage. To quote the words of the great Princess Bride, marriage is what brings us together. And uh, that's true, not just in terms of attending uh, fictitious wedding ceremonies in a movie. It's, it's true of what brings together human beings into a covenantal relationship. And in particular, what I want to talk about today is why marriage is so important, not just for you personally, but for us as human communities, as societies. Like, I want to suggest it this way, and it may sound a little odd at first, so stick with me. I want to suggest that actually when it comes to doing work for justice, when it comes for working for the good and flourishing of people made in God's image, working for the good of marriage is one of the most significant justice-focused works that Christians can be involved in. In fact, one of the ways I want you to think about this today is often I'll get asked by really awesome people. They'll say, Mark, I want to get involved in some way uh, to just do good for people, to, to work for justice and goodness and care for others. And I say, that's an awesome aim. Here's what you need to do absolutely at first. You need to go home and make sure your marriage and family are healthy. Because the foundation of marriage and family, not just at an individual, but at a systemic level, is central to the sort of work that we need to do for people made in God's image to flourish. So I want to talk a little bit about why that's true today, theologically, and then some of the really practical implications of what we see in our country, in America, when marriages actually change. I want to talk about the decline in marriage and some of the impacts in that, and then just try to urge all of us to move toward a path where we celebrate God's design as good. So first off, uh, why is marriage a significant, not just personal issue, but social and even social justice sort of issue? Well, to get at that, I, I want to read a quote from Tim Keller's book, Generous Justice. And in, in the book, Generous Justice, Keller talks about how when we're working for justice, when we are working to alleviate poverty or help people address um, educational disparities, he says there's three levels of work that Christians do. Level one is the work of relief, and relief is about bringing immediate help to immediate needs. A person who is cold, you give a coat to them. That, that's the work of relief. But long term, you want to move into the work of development. That's not just about bringing the coat to the person. It's about asking, how can we bring the resources into this particular community so they have coats to provide for people when it's cold? That's development. So you have relief, development, but then the third layer is what we would call social reform. I'm going to read a little quote about social reform from Keller's book, Generous Justice. He says, social reform moves beyond the relief of immediate needs and dependency and seeks to change the conditions and social structures that aggravate or cause that lack or dependency. Imagine a sequel to the Good Samaritan parable. The months go by, and every time that Samaritan makes his trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, he finds another man in the road, beaten and robbed. Finally, the Samaritan stops and asks this question, how do we stop the violence on this road? The answer to that sort of question would be some sort of social reform, instituting a new social arrangement that stops the flow of victims because of a change in the social conditions. 
That's a great illustration of what social reform is. Relief is the Good Samaritan stopping to care for the person who's harmed. But social reform is asking the question, how do we address the underlying reason why people keep getting robbed on this road? That is where social reform work goes in. And what I want to suggest is actually establishing marriage as a good in communities is a foundational work of social reform. Think of an educational classroom, and you might have a student who is acting out or who's showing up delinquent often. When we try to address this in terms of relief, what we do is we bring immediate work inside the classroom. How can a teacher work to change the behavior of that student? But in a social reform question, what we're really asking is, what are the foundational ingredients to human society that would result in students who show up to class ready to learn? And a stable family is certainly a piece to that larger puzzle of social reform. And that is because of God's design. If we go back to Genesis chapter 1, we find out that marriage and stability of family is foundationally important for human flourishing because God made people in his image to work that way. When God first says, I'm going to make man in my image, he makes them male and female. And then that male and female are placed into a marriage. In fact, God, when he looks at man alone, he says, this isn't good. It is not a good That's not just true of Adam personally, that's true of humans socially. It is not a good thing for human beings to be alone. They are designed for relationship. And in particular, God says to Adam and to his wife Eve, if you are to be fruitful and multiply, it can't happen individually. You can't actually produce children individually. You need one another. And so God institutes the foundational kind of ordinance, the foundation of active society as the marrying together, the wedding together of man and woman for the purpose of producing children born into a family who become the building blocks of human society. That means marriage. Let me take a common way to describe it. People say, well, this idea of marriage is just a Western contrived social construct. What I want to say is absolutely not. From a biblical definition, marriage is not a social construct. It's a God-designed prescription for human flourishing. It is not good for man to be alone. So therefore, in order for societies of men and women to flourish, we need this institution of marriage that God designed to be foundational. Because when we come to the questions of social reform that needs to happen when things have gone wrong, what we find is underneath it, often in society, when there's a crisis of chemical dependency, a crisis of poverty, there is a correlation behind the scenes to a drop-off in not just individuals, but the society treasuring marriage. And this is one of the things that as we look out in American society, in our own communities, we need to think seriously about. I want to give you two resources here. We'll link to these in the show notes. One is a book by Mark Rignaris. It's called The Future of Christian Marriage. He's a sociologist at University of Texas, Austin, and a committed Christian, did a study on looking at marriage. And in particular, another resource I want to give you is called the National Marriage Project. It's headquartered at University of Virginia. Again, it's a sociological analysis that's done, and every few years they they release what they call the State of Our Unions, off of play on the words of the State of the Union. And the State of Our Unions is taking a look at the state of marriage in the United States. And so I just want to give you some of the statistical backdrop of what they talk about. 
So in particular, let's talk about marriage in the U.S. And what we've seen, you could almost call it a marriage crisis that has started since the late 1960s. So inside the last 50 to 60 years, here's the reality. Every category we look at says marriage is in decline, children being born to married couples is in decline, and that there are large gaps and disparities that arise connected to race and racial groups. So along racial groups, different groups have even wider gaps in marriage. So let's give a few examples of this, okay? So in general, the age of marriage has risen tremendously. So the average age of marriage, if you go back to the late early 1900s, you're going to see people in their late teens to early 20s. We are on track, we're not quite there yet, for the average age of America or of marriage in America rather to be closer to 30 for a person having the first experience with marriage. That gap, that that increase of almost 30% of 10 years is the largest change in the average age of marriage that's been seen in human history in a society. It's huge, and it's happened quickly, relatively speaking, to human history. Another huge change in the area of marriage has been the prevalence of divorce. In 1867, you would have seen, seen per thousand marriages, you would have seen 0.3% uh, divorces. Okay, it, If you look in 1982, that number has gone up uh, more than 20 times. Now, we have seen since 1982, this is one positive, some declining divorce rates. But the answer behind that is not so positive. The reason that we see declining divorce rates in a lot of ways is because people are not getting married as much now. They're living together. So if you look at that one, cohabitation. 50 years ago in America, one out of every 100 couples was living together outside of wedlock. Now, that stat is higher than one out of every 10 couples are living together out of wedlock. Let's talk about children. Children, fertility rates in America in every single demographic have plummeted since the late 1960s. And what we mean by fertility rates is the average number of kids that a married couple or that would be born in the United States. And here's what we know. They've actually fallen below what sociologists call the replacement rate. What that means is if we continue on this path, unless there is a large scale of immigration that is not happening at current, America will decline in size very soon and will continue to decline. That has a lot of implications for what we do with taxes and Social Security because more and more people are going to retire out of the workforce and more people will retire out than will come in because fertility rates have dropped. Fertility rates drop when marriage declines. Okay, let's talk about children being born to married couples or even simply to a stable two-parent household. In 1960, nearly 90% of all children were born to a stable household, defined as a two-parent home. Today, that number is under 65%. 1960, 90%. Today, 65 The most precipitous of those drops are in homes of children in African-American homes. In 1968, 68% of children born to an African-American family were born into a two-parent home. Today, that number has dropped to 36%. And that number has been in the low to mid-30s since the 1990s. It's holding steady. It's not dropping anymore. But that, I just want you to realize, 36%, well under half. Since 1960, 
the percentage of all children born to unmarried women has skyrocketed. In 1960, um, the average was 5%. <coughs> Pardon me for my cough. 5% of all children born in the U.S. in 1960 would have been born to an unmarried woman who is single. Today, that number is 38.7%. And again, there is a deep racial correlation here. In 1960, in the African-American community, the out-of-wedlock birth rate was 38%. Today, it is over 70%. Now, all of those stats that I just listed out, they're all available in greater depth at the National Marriage Project. But here's the point that I'm making. Every verifiable stat that we have to talk about people being married, staying married, and being healthy in marriage says marriages in the last 50 years in the U.S. have rapidly declined. And the result of that is not just an individual problem, like more people need to get marriage counseling, which actually I think is true, and we'll talk about that later, but a social level problem because the foundation of human flourishing is flourishing family. And when the family breaks down and degrades, it results in not just individual issues, but societal level issues of instability. Let's just think about kids. Children raised outside of a stable home environment have greater rates of crime that they get involved in. They have lower school achievement and graduation rates, lower college enrollment rates. They drop out at a higher rate. They have higher rates of substance abuse. They have higher rates of mental problems. Think of if you remember back to the Faithful Presence sermon that we did at Cornerstone, we talk about nine areas of justice work we do at Cornerstone because people matter in the image of God, made in the image of God. Every one of the nine areas where we do work, marriage has a strong correlation for a good result. Let's think about all of them. Abortion. Abortion is vastly uncommon when the individual who finds themselves pregnant is inside of a stable marriage relationship. Adoption and foster care. I don't even need to explain that, but a stable home is the foundation of kids staying in healthy families and not having to be inside of the system. Kids and education. The number one indicator that your child is going to do well in school is the presence of a stable home. If you want a kid who's going to read well, it's not a guarantee, but it is pretty close to it that if you have parents who take the time and have the time to read with their children at home, their reading levels get better. Involved parents has to do with educational outcomes. The next layer we talk about at Cornerstone is poverty-impacted families. There is an incredible correlation to rising out of poverty and being in a stable marriage family. In fact, in America, it is almost certain if you follow these four steps, you could begin in any socioeconomic state and you will end your life above the poverty line and into the middle class. Here's the four steps. You need to graduate school, you need to get a job, you need to get married and then have kids, and you need to do it in that order. Graduate, job, married kids. If you do those four steps in that order, it is almost a guarantee you will end up out of poverty at the end of your life. Poverty is combated by two people working together. That's a more stable financial arrangement. 
racial reconciliation, along racial lines, a healthy marriage is an incredible indicator of progress that's happening. Sexual exploitation, almost don't even need to address that. A healthy marriage produces the environment in which girls are loved by a father who affirms them and helps them to pursue healthy choices, mental health outcomes, addiction and recovery, end of life and care for those in their dying days. Here's my point. Every single one of the nine social justice areas that we focus on at Cornerstone foundationally is transformed if a person is inside of a healthy and happy marriage. The best possible indicator I can give for you personally that you will end up in a healthy spot financially, mentally, etc. in your life is if you come from a stable home and you produce a stable home on the other side. Now, I want to step back here. I want to say a few things that are important to say. I mean, some might hear this and say, Mark, doesn't this shame people who come from a broken past? And if your story is that you're not coming from a stable family. Um, Here's what I've found. I bet you resonate with this. Every person I know who's gone through a broken divorce actually believes as fervently as anybody I know that a healthy marriage is the best path. When you encounter brokenness, you don't need someone to affirm the brokenness was good. You need people to say, I'm sorry, that was so hard. And God comes to those of us who come from broken places, and the Bible says he's a father to the fatherless. And inside the church, we want to come alongside and walk with, to bear one another's burdens, to be the family of God for those whose nuclear families are not in a stable and healthy place. So we want to come alongside and have compassion for people who have sinned and been sinned against. But It does no help for people to celebrate and affirm choices and paths of life that ultimately lead to harm. This is part of what we're being encouraged to do sometimes in our cultural moment, is to say, hey, what's really wrong is people telling people that the Western nuclear family of a mom and a dad, that that's what people need. That really, people who don't come from that, then they feel bad. We need to celebrate that you can come from anywhere and do anything. And here's what I'm trying to tell you. We want to help anybody coming from any family situation to go forward, but not all foundations are equal. The Bible tells us that and experience tells us that. And so when we're being asked to celebrate tearing apart things like a nuclear family, we're being asked to celebrate things that will hurt people, and we can't do that as Christians. So lifting up the truth doesn't necessarily shame the broken. It gives people a better path to aim toward. Some people might also say, Mark, are you saying the goal of all of this is just to get people out of poverty and get them into easy middle-class American living? My answer there is that's an overly simplistic conclusion. The goal of working for justice is not to make people middle-class Americans. The goal of working for justice is for people made in God's image to flourish as they were created. There are flourishing people who don't have a lot of money. But I'm telling you, the main poverty people in are impacted by is not just a poverty of material wealth, but a poverty of flourishing relationship. It is not good for man to be alone. And so marriage impacts far more than just our socioeconomic privileges. It's part of what we aim for to help people flourish who are made in God's image is healthy relationships. It's not just about money. And so I want to kind of bring this to a conclusion. 
And I want to say to all of you, I think Christians should have a heart for justice. We should ask the sort of questions about what are the social conditions that are producing bad outcomes around us? And I'm telling you, this is a foundational justice issue, healthy marriages. If you want to work for the good of your community, if you want to lift people up, you know one of the most important things you can do? If you're a dad, go home and love your wife and love your kids. Show people the beauty of a good marriage as God's designed it. One of the most important things we can do for our communities as churches is to lift up the value of God's good and beautiful design and to come alongside those who've been hurt and harmed by a social fabric that's fallen apart to be the father for the fatherless and to care for the orphan and the widow and those who are deserted. Inside of churches that lift up a biblical vision of what God says is good, we are working for justice for people. So, in our desire to help those who are outside, who are, who are hurting, what I want to call you to is do it from a foundation of a flourishing marriage. So maybe for some of you, you need to take a step and go to that marriage conference that Cornerstone has coming up. You can go on our website and get more information. Maybe, honestly, your marriage is just not flourishing and you need to step into counseling to try to do some work to build that foundation. Or honestly, maybe you're one of those folks who you're sitting there contemplating divorce. I really want to plead with you today. And I want to say, think about more than just your own immediate happiness. Think about the long-term impacts to your children. Think about what that means for their life, the outcomes that are so important in their life that correlate with a stable mom and dad at home. Live for more than you in those hard spaces. Because I know sometimes marriages are unhealthy and unhappy, but I promise if you will put the work in by God's grace, I have seen so many marriages move from unhappy to incredibly healthy. It just takes time. So keep going. And for everybody who's listening to this podcast, remember, it's not just that Christianity is true. It's not just that Jesus is right. It's that his ways are good. Something can be true and not something that you want to pursue. Like, oh, that's true, but it's not like I enjoy it. It's like vegetables being good for me. I know that spinach, I should eat more of it, but it's not like I want to. Here's what I want to tell you about marriage. God's design for human flourishing in marriage It's not just right, it's good. It's good for you. It's his loving care. It's his gift to you. So friends, do the incredible and radical work of justice by living a life of flourishing in your marriage. God bless you as you do that.